reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossae. That's why it's called Colossians. But remember with me that the Apostle Paul is also writing to the churches in that area, including the church of Laodicea. And so this letter that tells us that this letter that Paul wrote was intended to be a circular letter. It was to go to all the churches and to be read to the churches and that they would receive instruction, that they would receive uh, encouragement, that they would be built up. And this morning is no different. The Lord wants to build us up and encourage us and get us going in the right direction. For some of us, maybe we need to make some adjustments and make a pivot. Um, Remember, it was Epaphras. He was probably the pastor of the church at Colossae that came to Paul, traveled some, somewhere between around 900 miles from Colossae all the way to, where was Paul at? He was in Rome, in prison, in chains. All of a sudden, Epaphras shows up, right? He gets his backstage pass to see Paul or whatever they used. Comes and sees Paul and tells Paul, listen, there's an amazing work going on in Colossae and the neighboring churches. God is doing a radical work by his spirit. And Paul was excited about that. He was super stoked and really, um, really blessed hearing the work that was going on there. But Epaphras also shared with Paul that there were some problems that were, that were beginning to creep into the church. And, and we know what those problems were. There was false teaching or winds of doctrine now that were blowing through the church. And again, today is no different. We get winds that try to blow in here and a healthy body, a healthy church gets rid of the junk. Why? Because you know the truth of God's word and you hear something that's, man, that doesn't sound right. Show me where it says that. Or who told you that? Because that's not in my Bible. You show me. And we know that the truth will set you, the truth will set you free. So Paul is reminding the church, it's so great what Paul does here, he reminds the church of the truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's good to be reminded of that, isn't it? Of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's important to remember that that Jesus is, he's everything. And you are complete in him. You're not lacking anything. And so as we continue to work our way through um, this epistle, Paul, it's almost as if Paul now shifts gears a little bit, and now he goes into the application of, of what he's taught already. So what it should look like in our lives as Christians, because listen, Christianity is not just some view or some belief that we hold. Christianity is a way of life, guys. Are you with me on that? Christianity is a way of life. We follow a risen, living Lord. We walk with Jesus in a living, vital relationship. We abide in him day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. It is a relationship that we have that he's made possible because of his life, death, burial, resurrection, and then coming into our hearts. That's a miracle. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so what does that look like? What's it supposed to look like now that we, that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We've been made alive, right? Well, let's look. Look what it says. I'm going to back up to verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Jesus Christ? Right? We were once dead in our trespasses, but Jesus made us alive. And when we gave our lives to him, a new life has been birthed within each one of us. A new life with new desires, new strength, new direction. 
It's glorious. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. We've been made alive. If then you were raised with Christ, what should we do? He tells us, continually seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So he begins with what we seek continually. What do you seek this morning? What did you seek this week? What did you give your time to? What did you pour into? Listen, Paul's talking about eternal things here, that we would seek eternal things. That, and, and so what is eternal? We know the Lord is eternal, correct? He's the eternal one. The word of God is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my word will never pass away. But people are also. And so the encouragement is, we talked about last week, is that are we investing in that which is eternal, in the Lord, in his word, in one another, because we are eternal, connecting with one another, interacting with one another, allowing the Lord to use our lives, the gifts and callings he's given us to minister to one another. Also, the people out there that don't know the Lord, they're eternal too. Did you know that? And they need to come to know Jesus And the Lord wants to use you and me to see them come to know him and have a relationship as well. And so we're to seek the things which are above, no longer wasting our our time and energy on junk down here. In fact, he says, look at verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I mentioned last week, there there are things that we need, there's things we need to focus on on earth, don't we? There are, but do we, exclude the, do we exclude the eternal from those things? Listen, the eternal should be um, attached to everything we do. Everything we do every day should involve our Lord as we're looking to him, as we're asking to be filled by, with the Spirit, to do things with his wisdom, to do things with his strength, to, to, to see things with spiritual eyes. As we're spending time in the word, we're able to connect the dots spiritually and things begin to make sense as we process things that go on in life with the word of God. And so set your mind. We have the, now we have the ability to seek and to set our mind on things eternal. Do you guys see that? We have the ability because what the Lord has done in our lives, for you died, the old you, dead. We're to reckon the old man dead. He likes to resurrect him. He likes to come back to life though, doesn't he sometimes? Our old man, the flesh, the carnal part of us. But we're to crucify him. We died And your life is what is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that beautiful? Your life now is hidden with Jesus in God. What a great position. What a great place to be connected with the Father and the Son. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And then he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, when Jesus shows up, then you also will appear with him where? What's your Bible say? In glory. Is that good news this morning? When Jesus shows up, you're going to appear with him in glory, in heaven. That's good news this morning. Because we're so good? Because you're such a good person? Is that why? No. Because of his grace. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And for us, you know what that means? That means as we set our mind on things above, as we seek eternal things, things that are going to, that are going to last, listen, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. When we pass through the veil into eternity, we step into glory with 
our Lord, therefore. So in light of all that, right, in light of all that, put to death your members. Is that what it says? Your, your church members? We're going to start weeding some of, some of y'all out? <laughs> no, that's not what it's talking about. Don't, don't freak out. <laughs> therefore, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, and so fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And so Paul reminds us of something here. He says in verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So Paul says, in light of your, your position, in light of your, your, your death and your resurrection spiritually, you're now alive. He says here, put to death your members which are on the earth. And one translation says, you're, put to death your earthly inclinations or that carnal part of us that's attracted to the world. Put to death, check this out if you're taking notes, it means to view as a corpse or without life. But it also, so, so we're to reckon our old man dead, that fleshly carnal part of us, but also it means to deprive of life or energizing power so you don't feed or enable your flesh, your old man. Because we can do that sometimes, can't we? And if you sow to the flesh, you reap the... You sow to the flesh, you reap of the... You sow to the spirit, you reap of the... Sow to the flesh, you reap of the... Not that you guys are all fleshly, just, this is, just go in that direction... You sow to the Spirit, you reap. Sow means to plant seeds, right? If we're continuing to sow seeds to our flesh, our, our old man that is supposed to be dead, what begins to happen to our flesh? Gets stronger and stronger, gets energized. But if we stop feeding the flesh and begin to start feeding the Spirit with the word of God, with fellowship, with worship, what begins to happen? We reap the things of the... We reap the things of the Spirit. Real simple. Romans 12, 2. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your... By the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. It means... The word in Greek is metamorpho, in which we get metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, right? And what's the critter that metamorphosis is? The caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It's an internal change that manifests itself externally, correct? Do you put wings on the butterfly and tell him to fly? Put a cape, Superman S on him, go little buddy, little helicopter thing on, is that what you do? It's nothing external that helps him to fly and to change. It happens internally. So we're to be transformed, metamorphosized by the what? Renewing of our, of our minds. That internal change then begins to manifest itself externally. You spend time in the Word of God, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And all of a sudden, things begin to change in your life, don't they? The junk starts to fall away naturally. It's like, man, that thing has no more pull on me any longer. I'm dead to that. I, I don't dig that anymore. I don't need that anymore. And so I think it's good to be reminded here, the the therefore connects us with the first four verses. Therefore, set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. And you know what's going to happen? The junk starts to fall away because you're seeking the right things. You got your mind set on the right things. And so what's the first thing he mentions here? And by the way, all of this is done in cooperation with God. We can't do it apart from him. Do you guys know that this morning? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do, you can do nothing. Romans 8 talks about that, that we're to put to death this stuff with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as our helper to help us to do this. And so the first thing he mentions is fornication. And that, what's fornication? Some of your Bibles may say sexual immorality. Fornication or sexual immorality is any sexual intimacy outside of the marriage bed as designed and defined and prescribed by God and his word between a genetic male husband and a genetic female wife. Does that make sense? I know it's a big definition. But it's important because the world is redefining lots of things, and marriage is one of them. This is any sexual intimacy Outside of the marriage bed, as prescribed by God, marriage between a genetic male husband and a genetic female wife. That would include extramarital sex, premarital sex, homosexuality. It encompasses everything outside of the marriage bed. Next word is what? Uncleanness. That Greek word is interesting. It means not healing. And so it's something that doesn't promote health. Um, something that doesn't promote healing, you hurt someone, you abuse someone, is the idea. Someone that needs healing, you make people sick. Um, it speaks also of impure or corrupt, dirty behavior. Passion is um, having strong feelings not guided by God. It's passion out of control. Like when you're a bundle of emotions, nerves, a person loses control. And then evil desire, is that next, evil desire? Yeah, it speaks of, that word means breathing hard. So it's, it's, your, uh, it's a consuming desire for that which is forbidden, or you're obsessing over things that don't matter. You get all worked up, breathing hard, consume with something from the past, or, or you're worried about something you can't do anything about, and you're just super consumed or obsessed with. And then covetousness, that's wanting more and more stuff you already have or stuff you don't have. Some of your Bibles may say greed, wanting what you don't have, but what someone else has. And notice what he says at the end of that verse, which is what? Idolatry. Idolatry. Wanting stuff. Is, that becomes now your God. What you serve, what you worship, that's what idolatry is. It's worship of anything other than God himself. That covetousness, greed, wanting more and more. It's what you wake up for, what you live for. And so, and here's the deal, when you, are, when you are engaged in this stuff, you are looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for peace, you're looking for joy 
in all the wrong places. You're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places because why? You're focusing on things down here, seeking temporal things rather than the things that are above. And so we are to set our mind on higher things, seek eternal things. And as we do, stuff starts to fall away. It's, it's a miracle. It's supernatural, isn't it? You guys, how many of you still play with Tonka toys? Girls, Barbies. If you have kids. How about, how about just, you, just you play with all your old toys? You're still playing with them. You guys still play with your old toys? Some, I know some of you dudes got your big truck now and you're... Listen, I had, a, I had the best Tonka toys, big Tonka, you know, the big, big yellow ones, killer six shooters, right, and the belt, right, and you just kind of mosey on, mosey on around with those on. Listen, no one, no one had to take that away from me. I just kind of put them away. I just kind of got rid of them. I just kind of outgrew that stuff. I don't go around today in my house with my Tonka toys, and my old six-shooters. Why? Why? Because there's things that matter more to me now. There's things that are more important. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, for me, one of the things that has fallen away, just walking with Jesus, and um, I've shared this before, my rude, crude mouth. And it wasn't because, listen, my mom, so check this out, when I was little and had a rude, crude mouth, you know what she would do? She would wash my mouth with, yes, you guys know, Irish Spring. I still can't use Irish, to this day, I'm Irish, I can't use Irish Spring, it's a bummer. I mean, just an avert, you smell it, just, I got an aversion to this stuff. But that, that soap, Irish Spring, did not cleanse my heart. Didn't cleanse my mouth and it didn't because it couldn't get into my heart to clean up my heart. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I began to walk with him. You know what began to happen? My speech began to change as I set my mind on things above and seek those things that are above. Wow, what happened? Or you guys ever drop something on your toe? What comes out? Praise the Lord. Yes. Oh, I feel so good, Lord. Is that how you do? It, but it's not beep, 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 beep anymore. So you know you're growing, right? There's been a change. Did anybody give you like a program to do that? Ten step, here's 10 steps to stop using expletives when you drop a dumbbell on your foot. It's supernatural, isn't it? It's an indication that you're growing in the things of God. And listen, we co- cooperate with God in this. He helps us. And there are some times, I don't know about you guys, but we crucify a certain desire or some, some, some aspect of the self. And what happens? All of a sudden, it comes back to life in our lives. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought God already dealt with me on this. I thought God already changed me in this area. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody can relate? Maybe you can't. It's happened to me. I'm like, oh, I thought I was over this. And then it's like, no, you know what? The flesh is still there. And I still need a fresh work of his spirit in my life, a fresh touch from the great physician that he might deal with that stuff that appears and reappears 
And, and by the way, it's that desire for something that God has not given us. Do you notice those things that he mentions? It's a desire for things that are not given to us. Let that kind of wash over you this morning. What are we desiring that God has not given to us? Well, we're to seek those things above. Because of these things, look what it says, verse 6. Because of what's listed previously, God's anger will fall upon, is coming upon, the sons of disobedience, those in willful unbelief. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what, what God says. I don't care what you say, Mike. Who are you to tell me anything? Maybe you've had somebody say that to you. I don't give a rip what you think. The Bible says the last verse, you can check it out later, in John chapter 3, John's gospel, it says those that have rejected Jesus Christ, the Son of God, are abiding under God's wrath. That's heavy. But for us, look what it says. He says, in, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We once walked. That's past tense, isn't it? We were once walking in those things that we just read about. We once practiced those things continually, habitually, unrepentantly. We didn't care what we were doing. Are you with me? Before you got saved, it was like, I don't care what God says. But then you get saved, and what begins to happen? There's a battle that happens within our hearts. We talked about it last week. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. That battle is evidence, it's indication that you're born again, that God's working in your heart. But that was once the way we behaved. That's once the way we conducted our lives. That was our life once, but now Jesus is our life. Did you see that in verse 4? Jesus is our life. We are no longer under God's wrath because of Jesus and what he did for us. And I know there's probably some of us here thinking, what in the world does that even mean? Listen, God is holy. God is a holy just judge who must punish lawbreakers, criminals. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But God is also love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, we broke God's law. We're, we're all criminals, lawbreakers, aren't we? It's about maybe 80% of the room. Have you ever lied? What do you call someone that tells lies? You're a liar. If you've ever stolen something, it makes you a thief. We're guilty. All of us in God's courtroom, guilty. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins in his life's blood. He suffered, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. And you know what that means? The payment that Jesus made for our sins was acceptable to the Father because of the resurrection. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we broke the law, Jesus paid our fine. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of all our sins. Our sins and our lawless deeds he will remember no more, and he will grant you everlasting life. That's good news this morning, is it not? And we're no longer under his wrath. Jesus absorbed the wrath that we deserved for our sins as he hung on the cross. The Father poured out his holy wrath upon Jesus. And what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad, where are you? Dad, 
Where are you? All of our junk placed upon Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He said that, listen this morning, please listen. He said that so that we would never have to say those words. Where are you? If he's in your heart, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You never need to be afraid or fearful. We once walked in those things, not anymore. That stuff should no longer characterize our lives. It's no longer our practice and listen this morning, if you are, if it's still your practice, you're in, can I just warn you this morning, you're in grave danger. You're in grave danger because there will be, Jesus said, because of what Jesus said, he said, on the day of judgment, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not go to church? Did we not do this? And Jesus says plainly to them, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity, or you who practice lawlessness. Did you catch what he is saying there? He's saying, you demonstrated we never had a relationship by the way you lived your life. Oh, you said you're a Christian, you took the name of Jesus, but by by your practice and the way you lived, you demonstrated there was no connection whatsoever and he says, depart from it. That's heavy. And we don't want anyone to have a false profession of faith or, or be deceived. You need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if he comes into your heart, there's going to be a change in your life. Because it's impossible, it is absolutely impossible for God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and there be no change at all. There's going to be change. For some of us, it's faster for some of it's slower. There's going to be a change in your life. Again, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And listen, I'm not talking about that we don't have struggles sometimes as Christians. We do struggle, don't we, sometimes? Don't, I just don't get me wrong here. I want to make sure I'm very clear with this this morning. We blow it sometimes, don't we? Did some, of, some of us probably blew it on the way here. Don't need to raise a hands. Some people raised hands the first sort of, like, yeah, I blew it. What do I do? Well, let me tell you what we do. That's good. It's good. Isn't it good to be honest in church? Don't be lying in church. First John 1 John 1.9, you guys know. If we confess our sins, confess homo legeo, it means to say the same thing as or to agree with God. You're right, I'm wrong. I'm so sorry, forgive me. I was wrong. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, but wait, there's more. And to what? To purify us from all unrighteousness. So what does he do? So you're str- it's a struggle, but he wants to purify you. That word purify, katharizo in the Greek, for you Bible students, it means to remove the poison. Anybody ever had a catheter put in them? You know what that's all about? Don't want to gross you out this morning. It's nasty, but it removes the junk from inside of you. When we confess, admit we need his forgiveness and his help, he removes the poison from our hearts and from our minds and from our lives. Is that good news this morning? Does the Lord want to help us in this? Absolutely. And so thank you, Lord, for your help in this. But now, look at verse 8. Oh, we're going to get through this. 
section, maybe. Because look what Paul says next. So put to death your members. Don't negotiate with your flesh, fleshliness. It's incompatible with the Christian walk. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed, this is so awesome, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's good news, yes, this morning? Amen. But now, right now, Paul says, verse 8, you yourselves, notice you yourselves, verse 8, not you and someone else, not you and your psychologist, not you and your psychiatrist, not you and whoever, you yourselves do what? Put off all these things. And it's so great because Paul uses this imagery, this is classic Paul, put off and put on. And it speaks of like getting rid of something that doesn't fit any longer. Do you guys guys have clothes that don't fit any longer? Do you still wear them cruising around? Look how cool I am in these tight, whatever, dove shorts, (laughs) whatever. You 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 know what I'm talking about? It's weird, isn't it? It doesn't fit. That's what he's saying. That this stuff doesn't fit any longer. That's not you anymore. It doesn't fit. Put it off. And it is a decision that we make. We get rid of, we put off these things, these things that once marked our lives. I don't want to be that person any longer. This is incompatible with your new life in Christ. The first thing is what? Anger. And that that word anger, we got anger and wrath back to back. This word anger is just a settled attitude of anger where you're just stewing. You know people like this. They're just angry. They're angry at everything and everyone. Some of you all, it's so funny, like over the years, 20 years of ministry, it's like so awesome to see people that would come in with a permanent scowl. They're all mad. And they're just looking. They got drums at this church. And who's this goofball that wears Hawaiian shirts? And and then all of a sudden they get saved and their countenance changes. And they're no longer ticked off. They're no longer, you know, you know what I'm saying? Just angry with everything. And God replaces that with his joy. Then the next word, wrath, that speaks of just snapping, getting triggered, violent fits of rage, outbursts of anger. And then the next word is malice. And that's a desire for something bad to happen to someone else, to get satisfaction from someone else's pain. Blasphemy. The word means to speak against. It can mean to speak against God, or it can mean to speak against someone else, to slander them. Who's the, who's the accuser of the brethren? The devil is. If you're slandering someone, guess who, guess who is using your life? The devil's using your life, man. 
accusing your brothers and sisters, slandering them. That's why it's so dangerous what we do with our tongues. And Paul's saying, put that off. Put off speaking against God or using his name in vain. Put off the abusive speech or words that would injure someone else. Put off the filthy language, the dirty jokes, the crude jokes, the foul language, the vile conversation. Put it off. Verse 9, no more telling lies. No more speaking falsely or, or being dishonest or phony with someone else. That's lying also, being phony. Hypocrisy, that's a lie, isn't it? It's like, put that off. That doesn't fit any longer. That's not you. And then he says, since you have put off, because you took off like a dirty, filthy garment that doesn't fit anymore, the old man. I mean, I got to get rid of my dad? Is that what that means? My old man? Man. First we're killing our members, then we're, putting, then we're getting rid of our dad. What is this church? The old man, the old you. The person that you were before you got saved. Again, it speaks of that carnal, fallen, fleshly part of us that's so self-destructive and self-centered. The old man with his deeds, with his junky, habitual, bad behavior or practices, put him off, and then look what it says. Now we got to put something on. And to put something off and put something on, that involves choice, doesn't it? Did you choose what you were going to wear this morning? Did your wife choose for you? <laughs> Did you choose what you want to wear? This, some of you, maybe. It's funny. Some of the people that came to 7 o'clock service, the couples, they were dressed alike. And doesn't that happen after you've been married for a while? So I'm like, let me give that some thought. Just kind of, sorry. Get back here. We put on who? The new man. Like new clothes every day. Put on the new man, the brand new life, the person you are after you are saved. And notice he is renewed, she is renewed in knowledge. This brand new life is growing, progressing in a certain direction in knowledge. Isn't that interesting? It still comes back to how we think. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things that are above. Again, what we know, learning lessons from life as we walk with Jesus. As we process life through the scriptures, we, we begin to grow in this area. We're renewed in knowledge, knowing him more personally, walking with him and, and learning from him. Jesus said, I'm gentle and lowly. Come to me, learn from me. Come get filled up. Come, all you are thirsty, come to me and drink. It's knowing him more, knowing more of his grace, knowing more of his strength, knowing more of his love, knowing more of his forgiveness. Listen, if you are his child, he is teaching you and I lessons every day. Do you know that? He's teaching us to think differently. Do you know that this morning? You guys know that this morning? Because if we're thinking differently, we're going to behave differently. We're going to be going his direction. He's the potter, we are the... Whose hands are we in? Jesus' hands. He's the one working the potter's wheel. I don't know if you've ever seen a potter. Who controls the speed of the, the pottery wheel? The clay? Who's controlling the speed of the stuff going on around us right now? Putin? Biden? Congress? Some of us think, yeah, they're in control, man. No, they're not. The Lord's in control. Caesar Augustus flexing his muscle. 
I'm going to do a census of the whole world, man. Show how awesome I am. You know, that was God working behind the scenes to get a couple down to Bethlehem to have a baby born that would save the world. Everybody thought, oh, Caesar Augustus is in control, man. He's calling the census. We all got to go back to our hometown. He's in control, man. No, a couple had to get down to have a baby in Bethlehem. It was God doing it. Who's in control in your life? Who's controlling the speed of the wheel as his nail-scarred hands are shaping you and molding you? Did you know that this morning it's the Lord doing that? And he, he reaches in and he removes the stuff that doesn't belong. And does the clay know what it's going to be? Does the clay have any say? Does the clay have a say? No way. <laughs> See? You can put that to a little tune if you want. No copyright on that. Just let it roll. The clay doesn't say, oh, I want you to make me into this or that. Does the Lord know best? You are his workmanship. You're his work of art. It's going to be something glorious. Don't worry about the final product. He's conforming you, making you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Just each day, enjoy the process, walking with him, learning the lessons. Because he says, look what it says at the end of this verse. We're being renewed. This process of renewal, it's difficult too, isn't it? Is it, is it pain-free? No way. There's struggle. There's pain. But he's working everything together for good, and we are being conformed, molded, shaped according to the image of him who created him. We learned in chapter 1, Jesus created all things. And that includes us. All things are created by him and for him. That's you and I. We're made for him. Can I just encourage you this morning? God is using everything in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Every difficult circumstance, every difficult person. You guys run into difficult people? Think it's an accident? Coincidence? Mistake? Is it a mistake? Does God make mistakes? He, he's using everything. And, and when we embrace that, when we're setting our mind on things above, seeking things that are above, eternal things, we realize, oh, Lord, this jerk, sorry, Lord, this gnarly person, it's not an accident you brought them into my life because I'm looking into a mirror. I've got a two by four and I'm slapping everybody upside the head. And you actually see it as just a little speck. Oh, God, forgive me. And then you return what? You return good for evil. You. And then you start to do what the Lord says, don't you? You give your enemy a cup of water if they're thirsty and some food. And what does it do? It's heaping hot coals on their head. I get to burn them? Oh, no, 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 no. It brings conviction. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's already working on the other end on that person. Convicting them of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. And now you're being used as an instrument in his hands of his love, of his grace, of his forgiveness, of doing what's right. And you're trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And God is able to do what he wants to do, not only in your life, but that person's life. So beautiful what God does. But if we're not setting our mind on things above, seeking things above, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the lessons. 
And sometimes, you know what, uh, it's, we miss those lessons. We've got to go around the barn a couple more times, don't we? And God is patient. He's a master teacher. He's good at teaching us. But notice verse 11. We've got to get rolling here. I slowed it way too slow. Oh, new man, new woman, part of a new family. Don't miss this. In this new family, verse 11, check it out. In God's family, there are no distinctions. One translation says, in which state there cannot be Greek, Jew, and so forth. So there's no distinction in background, no racial distinctions. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There's no distinction in religious or physical status. There's no circumcision nor uncircumcision. There's no distinction in social status. Barbarian nor Scythian. Barbarians, by the way, they were looked down upon by the Greeks and Romans as uneducated, uncivilized, uncouth, because they didn't speak Greek or Roman. In fact, the word barbarian, you know what it comes from? They bar, 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 bar. That's why they call them barbarians. Bar, bar, bar. That's all they say, bar, bar. Like we say, blah, 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 blah. Does that make sense? And then Scythians, they were, looked, they were, they were a lower class of people. They were like the hillbillies. Seriously, like those that, from the sticks, those that are... But listen, now there's no more walls. There's, it's, there's no, that's what he's saying here, no more distinctions. Because somebody after church said, wait a minute, I was offended this morning, Mike. I'm a hillbilly. Walls are down, man. There's no longer... You're Scythian. It's... Notice what else. There's no distinction in job status, position, or rank. There's no slave nor free. But what? Jesus is everything. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Do you guys see this? It's so crucial. Jesus is all and in all. He's in all of us as believers. That's the one who connects us together supernaturally, gloriously in this new life. Your nationality, race, education, social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. It's all about Jesus. What matters is if you belong to Jesus and if he's living in you. This is so, this is like awesome because the world around us makes it all about these things. Well, I'm of this race or I got this job or I got this. And God's like, no, 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 no. All those distinctions are gone in Christ. And that should be our view too, shouldn't it? That's how God views things. Should that be our view? Listen, there is no room for racism or prejudice. It's not, racism is not just a skin issue, it's a sin issue, man. And if you're a racist, you need to repent, dude. Or anti-Semite, you need to repent. Because that's a big thing in the church today, is the whole anti-Semite thing. Boycotting Israel. Listen, you're jacked, dude. You know what I'm saying? As Christians, we're to be a witness to them. It's jealousy evangelism, right? Romans, what is it? Romans 9, 10, and 11. The Jews are to look at us as Christians and go, wow, I want what they got. I'm jealous of their relationship with the Lord. I mean, are we making anybody jealous with what we got? I don't mean to like give you a conviction sandwich this morning. But really, is, are, are people saying, wow, I want what you got? Salt and light, man. You're, there's a thirst being created 
by what people see in our lives. Wisdom is justified by her children. God's wisdom seen in our lives. Listen, God sees us this morning as clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know how he sees unbelievers? He sees them as people that he died for and that he's trying to draw to himself, to rescue, to save. And so it's important, again, we have a spiritual, we set our mind on things above, we see things and process things through the lens of Scripture with what the the truth of God's Word says, that our hearts are in the right place, that our attitudes are in the right place, that we're allowing the Lord to mold us and shape us to become more like Jesus and to have his heart for people. Therefore, can we finish it up, this section? We sure can. What do we got left? As I say, an hour and a half? Sweet. (laughs) Don't be peeking at the clock. Therefore, since we're new people, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also should think about. What does it say? You must do. Therefore, as the elect of God, you know that means you're chosen? You're a first-round draft pick by God? Well, wait a minute. I thought we had to choose. You do. Well, am I chosen or do I choose? What's the answer, pastor? Yes. How does that work out? I have no clue. That's what the Bible teaches. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility Together, you you can't reconcile the two. One day we will when we have perfect theology, when we get home to be with Jesus. So let's not fight about it. Let's enjoy it, okay? Thank you, Lord, for choosing us. We're holy, clean, pure. He sees us as righteous. Since we've been set apart, made distinct, set apart for God and his special purposes, since we are number one draft picks, since we're loved with an everlasting love. Do you know you're beloved this morning? No? Do you know you're loved this morning? He says, since you're loved, since we're the ones that God takes pleasure in, what should we do? Put on, be clothed with, number one, look what it says, tender mercies. Mercy is giving something to someone they don't deserve. You with me still? We can do that and then not be tender. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give them what they don't I, I'm just going to do. I'm going to do this. But it says tender. Look at it. It says tender mercies it, with gentleness. Tender speaks of a level of sensitivity. And then he says, put on what? What's the next thing? Kindness. Just being nice. You know, think about that. There's not a lot of niceness, is there, right now, going on around us? When you are nice to people, you stick out. When you're kind, man, it is a, it's a huge testimony of the, of the Lord living in you and through you. When you're just nice and kind. Listen, has God been merciful to you? Has God been nice to you? That's what he's saying here. If I'm really going to walk with God, I choose these things 
And it's interesting, that word kindness in the Greek, it speaks of something that has mellowed out with age and has lost its harshness. Have you mellowed out with age and lost your harshness? That's so good. Humility, lowliness of mind, not all prideful and showy, not self-important, it's not all about me. Meekness, is meekness weakness? Strength under control, right? Jesus, when Jesus said, he spoke about himself being gentle and meek or gentle and lowly. He said that about himself, strength under control. He could have, when he was on the cross, he could have called for hundreds, thousands of angels to rescue him. But what did he do? He hung in there, strength under control. I'm going to do the Father's will and finish what? I'm sent here for strength under control for us. What does that mean? Not threatened by someone else's attack. Can you let the Lord defend you? It's hard, isn't it? You're not threatened by someone else's attack. You turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile. You're not threatened by what people say or think about you. You just let the Lord handle it. You let the Lord fight your battles. God said, vengeance is mine. I will Repay, says the Lord. Long-suffering. What's long-suffering? Patience. It's patience and it's in circumstances. Willing to deal with pain, hang in there, endure. Once you understand that you are elect, that you're chosen, and that you are holy, set apart for the Lord, once you understand that you are loved, you know what? There's, you're secure in that. You're secure in your position It frees you up to be merciful. It frees you up to be kind. It frees you up to be vulnerable. Not only that, there's no reason to flex on people and show how awesome you are because you realize who you are in light of who he is. Apart from him, I got nothing. I need him. And you're okay when things get gnarly, when things get hard. You're able to hang in there. Why? Why? Because you know ultimately the Lord's going to work all things together for good. Your life is in his hands. And the worst that can happen is actually the best because you get to go home to be with him. One last verse. Can we finish it? Yeah, we can. Bearing with one another. That woke everybody up. There we go. Because some of you, man, when's it going to get done, man? Come on. The Lord really wants us to tune in on this verse apparently. So long-suffering, patient with circumstances, bearing with one another is patient with our brothers and sisters. It's hard because we're natural irritants, aren't we, to one another? And, but God provides the supernatural that we might love one another. Forgiving one another, choosing to forgive, to pardon, to extend grace, to give kindness. How are you doing forgiving others? If anyone has a complaint against another. In other words, you have complaining. You found fault in someone. You've got some, something to, to blame someone else about. You've got a grievance. You've got a charge. You've got an accusation. You've got a beef with someone. You've got a gripe. What does God tell us to do with that this morning? Look at the book. Even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. Just like Jesus. 
So we need to ask ourselves the question, how has Jesus forgiven us? Is he holding a beef against you? Is he holding a complaint against you? He has forgiven all of our sins and chosen to remember them no more. So how are we to forgive one another? Same way? Or is there stuff attached? I'm going to bury the hatchet, bleed the handle sticking out, Mike. I heard that song. I think it's uh, me, me too. No, 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 no. Remember what Peter said to Jesus? Lord, how many... <laughs> Peter's like, Lord, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven times? Check me out. And what did Jesus say? Not seven times, but seven times 70. 490. Does that mean, so you're counting, you got your tally, 483, I'm almost there, and then I'm done. Getting close. Doing the long-suffering thing, pastor, bearing with them. Is that what it means? 400, I think 490 is an interesting number because that's how many years are left on the prophetic clock or that Daniel had in Daniel 9 till the kingdom of God is ushered in. You know what that means? You're to forgive until the kingdom of God is ushered in. How about that? For you Bible prophecy buffs. <laughs> and then Jesus goes on to tell a parable about forgiveness, didn't he? King calls in, the big boss man calls in folks to give an account. Dude comes in, has an unpayable debt. No chance, no way. That's every one of us because of our sins. Unpayable debt. Correct? Unpayable. Comes in before the king. King's like, you're toast, man. We're going to sell your family. I'm taking your family. You're going to pay off. You're going to go into prison until everything's paid off. And he begged for mercy. Be patient with me. I'll pay everything. Please give me mercy. And what did the king do? Forgave. It says all, everything. And so that dude leaves the building, and he's stoked, isn't he? Yeah, woo! Hallelujah, I'm forgiven. And then all of a sudden, he sees some dude who owes him like 10 bucks, right? That dude owes me 10 bucks, grabs him by the throat. You pay up, you owe me. And the guy, it's interesting. You go back and read that. It's in Matthew 18. He says the same exact words that that man had said to the king. Be merciful to me. I'll repay everything. He's begging him. And what did the guy do? No way, Jose. Throws him into prison. And the king hears, what? Get that wicked servant in here. Because unforgiveness is wickedness. Let's just be real clear. Bring that wicked servant in here. Didn't I give you mercy? You sure did. Then you should have extended mercy and forgave that brother. Pardoned him. Just like I pardoned you. So, since you're not, you go to the torturers. I don't even know what that means, but it's frightening, isn't it? But isn't that what unforgiveness does to us? We're in the tiniest prison cell, our own skin, when we're unforgiving. And what happens? You're unforgiving and there's bitterness. You listen to what comes out of your mouth. The way you treat people. 
and you can put on a happy face, but deep within there's unforgiveness in your heart. And it's interesting because Jesus goes on to say, if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Oh, that's heavy, isn't it? Because you know nothing of God's forgiveness. You've never probably really even experienced God's forgiveness if you're not forgiving, he says. Not me, that's what Jesus says. In fact, when Jesus taught us to pray, you guys know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Did you catch that? Lord, I want you to forgive me just like I forgive everybody that done me wrong. Just like I'm such a forgiving person, I want you to forgive me. Doesn't that kind of change our perspective on forgiveness a little bit? I mean, that's a whole different Bible study. I I would say it's one of the most important things is extending forgiveness. Because if we don't, we're told in Ephesians 4, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And you keep grieving the Holy Spirit, ultimately you're going to quench the Holy Spirit. To quench means to put out the fire, to put out that work that he's doing in your life, that he wants to do. Because you're holding on, and that person's controlling your life. You're letting them control your life. You're, You're imprisoned by them. Listen, it's a choice. It's not, I don't feel like forgiving them, Pastor. It's not a feeling, man. It's a command. You need to forgive. And let the feeling, the feelings may come or they may not come. But we need to choose to walk in forgiveness, amen, to put that on. It's unforgiveness is incompatible with our new life in Christ. And I can't do it, Pastor. There's no way. Yes, you can. How do you know that? Because Jesus is living in your heart. Let me finish with this, because I'm already a couple minutes over time. You guys remember Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom survived Nazi Holocaust, was in a concentration camp. Years later, she is, she's sharing the word of God, and she's teaching on forgiveness. And all of a sudden, guess who cruises into the room? It's the guard from the concentration camp that was involved in the death of her sister. And she gets done sharing, and all of a sudden he cruises up, and he reaches out his hand to her and says, I'm a Christian now, would you forgive me? Heavy. Dude, the put many Jews to death, including her sister. And she says, there was no feeling. I just reached out my hand. And when I did, I experienced the power of God and his love overwhelmed my heart and my soul. And I embraced him. That's heavy. That's heavy. But the thing about it is, it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He will give you what you need. His commandments are his enablements. You choose to forgive and watch what the Lord will do. He'll work in your life. Begin to pray for that person. 
Maybe that someone that maybe someone that passed away. Maybe that someone's no longer in your life. Pray for them, because it may not change them, but it begins to change you. And that's what the Lord wants to do: is to bring about change in our lives. He fix. He's the one that fixes us. He's the one that changes us. He's the one that molds and shapes us to become more like Jesus. Amen. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you so much for such an amazing passage and um, the weight of it, Lord, so necessary, so needed.